So Lisa, this weekend, I know you probably got tired of getting all the text messages from me because I was reading things and, you know, the rabbit hole gets deeper and deeper. And so I read this incredible article, probably one of the best articles I've read in years in regards to the DEI marketplace and what we do for a living Mm -hmm. and what people are looking for. And I was doing a little bit of homework. I'm in an entrepreneurship course at Cornell, and I was just simply looking to find out a number of how much people are spending in the DEI industry. And what I found as I was looking is that there's some confusion here in regards to how do you even find an appropriate DEI consultant? What are you looking for? It's it's almost like, you know, capturing a Bigfoot or something like, does it really exist? And can you find it? I don't know. But uh, folks are having trouble with that. And I don't know if we can help mm. them. But yeah, it's it's kind of an elusive job description. So people are spending tons of money, it sounds like, on um, hiring DEI folks to help their organizations transform. But you know, who they hire is a bit hit or miss, it sounds like, because there's not really a clear um, framework for what you should be looking for in a professional. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. The job description is all over the place. And, you know, I really think we should kind of flesh out what should people be putting their money into if they're serious about finding someone to do this work as a professional. So let's talk about it. Let's do it. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. So, Lisa, look, folks are spending a lot of money on DEI professionals. And let's be clear, sometimes we're on the receiving end of those funds. So I I don't want to, uh, (laughs) so I don't want to uh, cause any issues in regards to people like us who are trying to do the very best work that we can. But I just found it really interesting. It's that, you know, people are really unclear as to what do they need for effective DEI work And over the last couple of weeks or so, I've been doing some executive coaching with folks who want to do what we do. And so it's kind of like this kind of weird thing where organizations don't know what they're looking for. But even if they did know what they were looking for, folks who want to do our work don't know what they need to have in their arsenal to do Mm -hmm. this work well. And so I thought maybe we could spend the podcast kind of fleshing out, you know, where do we go from here? So you know, even organizations that are looking for the right person, are there enough of us out there to do this work well based Mm -hmm. on the Mm -hmm. job description? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. And we have talked about DEI professionals before. And importantly, that you should be hiring someone who does this versus just tapping someone in your organization to add it on to their already probably overburdened self, um, particularly when that person is a woman or a person of color or a person with disabilities. Um, So I think some of this probably stems from the field not being... um, like managed in the same way that like an architecture field or lawyer field Mm. is or legal Mm -hmm. field, I guess would be the way to say that. Um, Right. You know, like there's not the same parameters or boundaries or specific education that you can say, Hey, this is the qualification that we need for this individual. So, you know, 
I have an Asian employee, so let's just have them do it. Like I, you know, like it seems um, really problematic, but then what I'm also hearing you say is there are people who want to get into it, but they don't even know, like, what do I need? Right. Like, that's right. What do I need to make this professional versus just a hobby or an interest? Hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so, you know, and that's what I think is so interesting about it. So, um, so Lisa, the article that I sent you over the weekend, it said that in the corporate world, you know, spending $8 billion in the corporate world, that's billion with a B, billion, $8 billion annually on diversity. That's the number that's kind of passed around. And that is a lot. and, and hold up that number. We might as well assume that that's an underestimated number, especially now post George Floyd, Breonna Taylor add to the list because that number was quoted in 2003. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So given that I'm like, okay, hold up. Lisa and I need to help the industry think through who should they be spending that amount of money on? What skill set should they have in order to be a really great DI professional? Because Lisa, I don't know about uh, your background, even now, listeners, let's be clear. You have kind of an ideal situation between Lisa and I, because both of us have multiple degrees. We have the privilege of having terminal degrees and still quite a bit of our education on these topics are self-taught. So it's yep. not as if we went through a certification like, oh, if you want to be a CPA, do this. No, that's not how diversity works. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't have that. I'm just saying we don't have it yet. So, you know, what are some kind of essential things that you've learned over the years, Lisa, that now you use regularly or maybe things that you didn't learn that you wish you did know um, when it comes to DEI work? Because nobody laid this out for us. We had to kind of figure it out as we went along. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the big things I would say for an aspiring DEI professional or for an organization that's looking to hire someone is knowledge of or experience in organizational development, organizational communication, organizational behavior. You have to be able to look at a system or at an organization and its infrastructure and have the ability to point to areas where improvement needs to be made, right? So you have to be able to think Mm -hmm. analytically and in a kind of systems way. And I think I'm just naturally good at that, but I also took classes in graduate, in my graduate programs on organizational development and behavior, right? So I do have some academic background in it, not a lot, but some, and then you pair that with what I believe to be my natural skill, right? Um, Right, right. is, is something um, that zooming out and being able to do that. And, you know, I don't know how often outside of maybe business as a, as a discipline that people learn, like how often is that skill taught academically, right? So where else would you pick it up other than practice and doing, you know? Right, right, right. Absolutely. Well, and right. And the practice and doing is right on it. And, you know, when it comes to DEI, I think, you know, that's where you get into some of those higher level skills where, you know, if you are a programmer, for example, I come from a background with, it was a lot of programming. It was a lot of case by case basis work. Well, it's one thing to think about case by case DEI work. It's another thing to think about how that one instance is systematized or functions within a larger system. So, you know, when I was working at a large university, I had the university six colleges of different industries and then 60 plus um, 
uh, divisions underneath those. Well, I couldn't just think about, okay, how is Lisa affected over in archaeology? I have to think about how Lisa is affected over in archaeology and how would other comparable faculty members feel or uh, engage with this policy or procedure anywhere in the university? And what does that right. mean for that larger right. big picture? Yeah. So it's kind of like looking at the micro and the macro at the same time. You know, Lisa is a human being uh -huh. and uh -huh. yes, we need to make sure she's okay. But also how is the system built in ways that treats everyone okay? Right. And that's a, that's a hard thing to do at the same time, you know? Yeah, I think actually social work does a decent job of that because they're always talking about mm. person and environment, right? And looking at yep. it from a system. So you're working with a family and child welfare. That family exists within these larger systems. Also histories of oppression. Um, yep. You've got, um, you know, a connect a connected set of issues and systems that will be affecting that family. So, but I don't, you know, so social work mm. is probably a good um, academic discipline perhaps. Mm -hmm. But the programming piece you mentioned is interesting, right? Because I began as Oof. a programmer too. And I think this is yeah. where my interest in data and evaluation came from, because, you know, I would be frantically putting on programs during sexual assault awareness month or um, uh, women's history month. And, you know, and there would be these one-time events that people would go to and enjoy, right? But how does that kind of tie into this larger goal of systemic cultural change? Does it, right? right? And we right. don't know that. And right. so there's a lot right. of positions that are diversity programming, multicultural programming, programming for some particular identity group. And it doesn't feel like, to your point around kind of systematizing that and then thinking about how is this integrated in the larger macro context, there's no mm -hmm. analysis of that. And I think that evaluation is going to be an important piece of that in terms of being a DEI professional going into an organization that might have like lunches on a particular topic, right? Or book clubs right. or, right. you know, and really kind of tying those together in a way that can demonstrate their effectiveness or not. That's right. That's right. So Lisa just gave us all a nugget here when it comes to that work, which is Lisa, we probably can stop counting how many times we've gone into an organization to do an audit or some type of assessment. And they are crazy busy with diversity, equity, and inclusion programming. And none of it gets them closer to their larger goals because they're not linked. And so yeah, they have the annual scholarship or they have the annual event or what have you. And either they have stated goals that the programming doesn't connect with or no stated goals at all. Now you got busy work. I don't want to do busy work. I, I want to do work that's, you know, somewhat linear, not meaning that straight as an arrow, it's not going to change, but more so how is it connected to the bigger organizational goals? Right. You know, I think that's when we get tired. You know, people are tired. They're like, oh, we're doing 17 programs. Well, yeah, you are doing 17 programs. Well, none of which are connected. Yeah. Or lead to any kind of transformational change. So as an organization, when you're looking to hire a DEI person, you need to know whether they can do that, right? Whether they can link your initiatives together and tell you whether they're worthy or not. And That's then right. also you That's have right. to be ready for the ground shifting underneath you because you want someone who can make those um, kind of bird's eye view uh, comments and suggestions that might actually shift the structure of your organization. And then from a DEI professional, aspiring professional position, you need to be able to connect those dots. Um, That's right. That's I right. think 
if you're an organization looking to hire a DEI person, you just want them to roll in and facilitate a couple of lunches. Like that's not yeah. what this is. Right. No, and that's, not at yeah. all. Yeah, not at all. Absolutely. In fact, Lisa, you know, that's where I've been thinking about some changes that I want to make, but I've, I've informally asked this question when I'm engaged for work, but, um, you know, even now I want to make it a bit more formal. You know, if someone calls you, Lisa, and says, we want you to come in and do a keynote speech during March for Women's History Month, and we will pay you whatever dollar amount you so desire, I guarantee that you will want to know how does this one keynote fit yeah. into a larger yeah. plan of what's going to happen or else I just simply sat up here and entertained you for about an hour. There will be no transformation or change. And so I think we need to ask that question to get organizations to think, but you know, again, that leads back to the skill set. DEI people need to be able to see macro and micro at the same time with that org development piece. Mm -hmm. If mm -hmm. not, we'll never get to change. No nothing will change. Yeah. All. And I think there's probably a subset of people who are really great at those inspirational, motivational speeches, um, you know, that yes, would be great yes. keynotes to, for a diversity summit or for an event. But I think that if you just hire the person to do that and you don't then engage them in any kind of long-term planning or strategy, then you're missing out. And I don't think that's actually necessarily the same person, right? There are some folks who are just very good at standing right. on a stage in front of 200 people and delivering like a blockbuster um, keynote. And then there are other people that are really good at looking at the organization, picking it apart and making suggestions about how you could shift this policy or this practice. So I think from a aspiring right. professional, you need to think about where do you fall? Like where does your skill set fall? And then from an organizational perspective, you need to think about um, what is it that I want? And that knowing that a keynote speaker isn't going to ultimately lead your organization um, to that long-term change you might be seeking. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It it feels a little cheerleader-ish and we do need cheerleading at certain points in the process, but that can't be the only thing that you're kind of hinging this change on at all. So, well, now, Lisa, there's some other things that I actually did get certificates in <laughs> and there's so many of them. I'm like, how would you kind of organize that in a way where you would roll it out as a curriculum for a DI person? But, you know, things like you do need to know how to manage very difficult conversations. I, I remember earlier yeah, this yeah. year when I pulled together um, some faculty members that were going to be responsible for kind of helping to de-bias the hiring process in real time. And we had an entire unit that was scheduled on uh, facilitating difficult dialogues. And one of the faculty members asked the question, what does this have to do with anything? And me and the coordinator were thinking, oh my God, if you were anticipating to de-bias a hiring process with no conflict, you've missed the whole point here because there's going to be more conflict than not at every stage. And I'm not saying that conflict uh -huh. is bad. It's a right. great thing, but they just didn't think that conflict was relevant. And these were people that weren't even conflict avoidant people. They just didn't process the fact that DEI requires change. Change yeah. requires friction. Friction requires yep. people that can manage the friction, right? Yep. So yeah, that's a big piece of it. And I, you know, I got the cert the certification over time, but yeah, it took a few times of getting burned mm. <laughs> before realizing I really needed it bad. And it, it wasn't yeah. going to happen organically at all. Someone had to shepherd that process. Yeah. So you also need to hire. So you need to hire a company that has at least a professional in the company that can manage difficult, conflictual conversations. Right. And so yes. 
Yes. But if yes. you're if you're like that, I don't know that that's I can facilitate dialogues for sure, but I don't love jumping in the middle of like extreme conflict about whiteness and racism. And that's like, just, I, right. I, it makes me nervous and that's my own issue. Right. And I'll work on that. But, you know, right. like, I right. think that you need as a DEI professional, inspiring DEI professional, just what you did, Shauna, like think about how do you, A, explain this to your um, client and B, feel really at ease in it because you know there are people that thrive on engaging in difficult conversations and navigating through the mess but that isn't Mm -hmm. for everyone it isn't right you know exactly no it's not for everyone and you know (laughs) that that's the thing that for example I've done train the trainer for this type of work for a while now and you would be surprised how many people or the the type of folks that flourish in this work and the folks that don't flourish in this work. So the folks that I found that were really strong professional development people and trainers and teachers who impart knowledge actually weren't very good as facilitators because the goal of facilitation is to actually to blend into the background, not to insert yourself. And so it's a different type of skill set. So the people in my organizations that were best at facilitating difficult dialogues were actually frontline people like executive assistants, program managers, administrative assistants, because they do it all day long. Yes, that That (laughs) makes total sense. Yeah, that makes Mm -hmm. a lot of sense. And then that article that you had shared, one piece of it that I read was that, you know, a lot of folks doing this work say that um, HR is where DEI goes to die. And so when I'm thinking about what you just said and who is and is not good at navigating those difficult conversations where you're really talking about identity and historical, um, longstanding oppressive systems, you know, putting, having those conversations out of HR, that's like an employee relations trainer or a, how do you write a resume trainer, right? Like not that they're bad things, but that really doesn't feel very fair to then like plop that person into this really pretty intense conversation. Well, right, exactly. And, and that's where, again, (laughs) so let's flash back Lisa to what it was last summer. And I did a little intensive, a little DEI intensive, and I was interested to see who would sign up for the intensive. And it was half and half. It was half folks who were in the higher ed space. And then the other half of folks were vice presidents of human resources who have all the SHRM certifications and all that official stuff, which I think is profound. They do a really good job with their certifications. But The notion that out of what, I think it was 12 people, 12, 13 people, half of them were vice presidents of HR who by showing up are admitting that they don't have these skill sets and they have the top certifications in their industry. Yeah. Come on. That that tells me that there's some work to be done as an industry um, around, you know, how do we make sure that those folks have those skill sets? Um, Even a conversation I had last week with an organization where um, the the person (laughs) we were talking talking about this very topic. I think we should uh, facilitate difficult dialogues. And I think I would be able to do it. This person happened to be their um, vice president of global HR. And this person said, when I get into those conversations, I ask what happened, who was involved, what was the timeline and how would they like for me to respond to it? And they thought that was a dialogue. No, that's a damn report. That That's a, a, a inquisition. That sounds like, like, uh, law enforcement 
asking me what happened to me after a damn crime. That's what that sounds like. It does. It does. Yeah. That does. That is not facilitating difficult dialogue. So that that in and of itself is a skill set. And I'm so curious about folks in certain industries that I assumed would have some of these skill sets that don't. So, you know, that facilitation mm-hmm. piece is key. And, you know, I think coaching is another thing. I mean, you know, we're in endurance sport, obviously, but coaching is a different matter when it comes to DEI. I think people need those skill sets too. you know, go through the international yeah. coaching federation or some accredited organization that gives you, you know, the skill sets for that too. That's crucial. That's crucial. Yeah. I mean, I do think it's possible that coaches in endurance sport can parlay those coaching skills, um, Mm-hmm. something like this if they have an interest in it but there needs to be that content knowledge right so beyond just um you know racism is bad sexism is bad um be nice to everyone um be respectful it needs you need to be able to dive into kind of the ways in which particularly white supremacy operates at like the individual community and cultural level um you know pairing that knowledge with your coaching skills Well, you know, I think you're hitting the nail on the head in regards to, I think that's where the gap comes in is that the, the intersection that is somewhat hard to find, right. You know, finding people that can do kind of both at the same time, I think is crucial. You know, how do they, um, parlay what, what do HR people call that transferable skill sets? I think it's what it's called, you know, how to, how to transfer those, you know, in ways that intersect with identity mm-hmm. and individuals and groups at the same time. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. So, okay, Lisa, I know you are the data analysis evaluation guru. You know, how do we how do we help people to think that way? Because that that always feels like a different part of the brain, right? Like a different part of the brain has to flip on for you to really understand what's in that financial report or what data should we collect to begin with, and how do we look at it once we have it and yeah. You know, how do we help people to get to that place where they don't have to get a whole PhD to get it, you know? You know, I think that's an interesting question because it makes me think about the need perhaps for both the aspiring DEI professional and the organization that's looking to hire someone to actually think about hiring teams, you know, because I don't know that uh, there is yeah, yeah. a person that has the organizational behavior the data analysis, the conflict management, the facilitation, um, the DEI content, what like we've we've done, we've listed kind of a number of things that we're saying are kind of crucial for job descriptions in terms of looking and also if you want to move into this field, right? Like I think about I don't have all those pieces, right? right? right. And right, um, right. So I think you either you know people joke about being you know policy wonks or data nerds. And I do think there's something to that around. We each just have a skill set that is um, either learned or um, just naturally occurring. And many of us don't always find out what that Mm -hmm. is, right? But if you do find out what that is, and it is data, then Mm -hmm. I think that you have an opportunity to contribute to DEI work um, in an organization or in a small group of people where they don't have that skill set, you know? Right, Um, right, right. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't think you can make someone understand data or know what to pull out from a financial report. Right. Like, I don't think, right. else, you know, like not everyone wants to get a PhD and that might not even do it anyway. Right. Oh, goodness. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, 
Yeah, because then, you know, the the world of data is so large that, you know, even just deciding, you know, what area do you really want to focus on to do well? Like I do qual very well. There are other people that do quantitative very well. Some people do mix very well. And so finding your little niche in that area. But I do think you're right. I think so. Okay, this is the controversial question I think we're getting at now, Lisa, is that especially for small organizations, Uh because uh it's hard, even for large organizations that may have resources, sometimes they're like, eh, I don't want to hire one diversity person, much less a team. What happens when you're a very small organization? Are we suggesting that smaller organizations or organizations that are really bootstrapping it, they may not have too many resources. Are we suggesting that they look for a person that can check off as many of these boxes as possible, knowing that they probably won't find all of them. And being okay with that. Probably. But I also think, right, like, you know, if, you know, if you and I are working on a project together and the organization is small versus large, like the cost of hiring us doesn't necessarily change. And it doesn't necessarily change if you're just doing it on your own, right? So a small organization in hiring you or hiring you and two other people that you've connected with, the work is still the same. It's just distributed among the three people based on their skills. So I don't know that hiring a team necessarily means that the cost of doing it would be greater. So I, you know, in some cases it might actually be less because, you mm. don't have mm-hmm. a consultant that's tr- a jack of all trades or a Jill of all trades, right? Like right. they're, they're, right. They, and so they're, and so you're more efficient in a team as getting the particular pieces done because you're assigning tasks based on skills and knowledge versus trying to do it all. Um, so Ooh, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't like know. that. Yeah. That, that divide and conquer piece. Yeah. You know, that could be, that could be the case as well. It, it, and, and, being efficient in not only great work that's split over a team, and it could be great work that's done simultaneously that may save you time too to do things right. a bit more urgently. Right. right. You know, because a year's worth of work for one person might be three three months worth of work for a, a really good team that knows what they're yeah. doing. Yeah. You know, so yeah, you're bringing up a great point. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just something Mm. to think about that just because you're a small organization doesn't mean you have to limit yourself to a single consultant because there are going to be organizations out there where they have teams and that's actually more cost effective. The other thing is you can ask if you're a small organization and if you're, or if you're a nonprofit, there are definitely consulting teams out there that have um, all of these skill sets and also discount their um, fees for nonprofits or small organizations. Like, that shouldn't be a barrier for you doing, knowing what you want, right? Yes. Um, because of mm-hmm. all the things that we've outlined, because obviously what you and I say is the capital T truth, clearly. Yeah. Uh, um, right, you know, right, I don't exactly. Think you should, yeah, you should um, not sell yourself <laughs> short on right. that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and it's similar to other professions that have pro bono hours as well. You know, there are, you know, DEI professionals that are certified coaches or certified in a particular area, and they have to get those pro bono hours in, for example, to demonstrate that they are still relevant and well rehearsed in the field. And so maybe, you know, now I'm not saying lead with that all the time, obviously, but if you're a very small organization with a nominal budget, and you reach out to someone to say, I know this is going to be about 15 hours worth of work, and we can only afford to pay five, 
that individual may need that mutually beneficial relationship um, mm-hmm. to get your work done and to also keep them certified or whatever's required from their professional organizations too. So I think there's a, a lot of solutions to making sure that we put all these pieces together of a great DEI professional, but we, we can't think linearly like there's only one human right. being on the planet that can do it. Yeah. And I think that this couples really nicely with what we talked about last year in terms of kind of the top tips around hiring um, and how to kind of de-bias your process, because also, you know, a DEI person can help you with that. And, mm-hmm. you know, in general, I think we're kind of reinforcing the message that we have shared on this podcast before is that you can't just give this to someone in your organization or in your um, sports club because mm-hmm. there are these mm-hmm. really specific skills and someone might be great at um, membership recruitment, but really horrible at kind of thinking strategically and thinking about how the system needs to change and how the system maybe reinforces some problematic stereotypes. Mm-hmm. So you really do need um, ideally a collection of people that can kind of access your organization across all of those planes. And that isn't, um, that's perhaps unfair to drop that on someone who has an interest um, and an interest isn't going to be enough. Like it's not going to be enough to get you what you really want. I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's right. That's right. So, you know, I'm, I'm still constantly Lisa pushing for uh, more and more professionalization of what we do. Um, I know it's hard and I know it feels kind of ambiguous. I feel like we're like these, I don't know. It's just kind of, it really is putting these pieces together. Um, disparate pieces that are sometimes hard to find even. So, but I think it can be done. Even if it's a team, I think it can be Uh done. So uh yeah, let's, hopefully we've helped people to kind of think through who they need and also for folks that are interested in this work, who they need to be in order to be courted by these folks and make this work happen. All right, let's go to our segment, our fun segment (laughs) to end up this podcast. So, hell yeah. Hell no. Who is this week's hell no and hell yeah? Oh, I I can never get through this uh, segment without a little giggle, but this is a a little more serious here. Um, So with this particular hell yeah and hell no, the the hell no is, hey, shout out to the safety protocols that were not followed when it comes to the loss of life. Um, Alec Baldwin is playing in a movie that's about to come out uh, next year. And it's a movie called Rust. Um, and Helena Hutchins, I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly. Helena Hutchins, unfortunately, lost her life. She was the cinematographer for that movie in particular. And, you know, the hell gnaw piece to that is, you know, how many movies have we all seen where there was you know, guns and violence. And, you know, I watch all the action movies, whether it's, you know, Bad Boys or I watched, look, Sunday night alone, I watched SWAT and SEAL team, like six episodes, right? So, you know, I watch all this stuff all the time. And so I'm just imagining, you know, as an actor, you truly are thinking that you're on a safe set, um, meaning that, you know, you have a cold gun and I'm, I'm from Southern Virginia. So I'm used to all this, but a cold gun is basically meaning that the, the gun should not have any live rounds in it. And unfortunately, Alec Baldwin's uh, weapon discharged and struck Hutchins in the chest. Um, and then another gentleman was struck in the shoulder. I believe it was the director of the movie. And so 
you know, I'm really, really upset about the loss of life, number one. And number two, the safety protocols, because movies have action in them all the time, and we rarely hear of incidents like this. And so given that this was a woman cinematographer, which is she's actually a minority within the minority of this field, it's a huge loss, huge, huge loss for those of us who, um, you know, I, I just feel strongly that people shouldn't have to lose their lives for us to be entertained. Yeah. That it's a shame. It's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty heavy hell no right there. It, it is a hell no. It's, it's a, a truly heavy hell no. But now here's the hell yeah to this. Shout out to Alec Baldwin. Look, maybe he listens to the podcast, Lisa. Maybe. Who knows? Oh, I'm sure uh, it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While he's not filming movies, right? A big hell yeah to Alec Baldwin. Um, I've been halfway uh, paying attention to social media when his Twitter feed pops up. And I just want to um, acknowledge that he acknowledges not only the loss of a human being, the loss of a fellow professional, the loss of a woman in the field and just being so communicative about uh, the transparency of being supportive of the families um, and also seeking out his own counseling and being really aware of the mental health challenges that can come from such a very tragic incident. So shout out to Alec Baldwin. Um, I'm in support of the of this gentleman. Um, I cannot imagine what it feels like um, for a loss of life at your own hands. So God bless you, and I hope he uh, listens to the podcast and lets uh, and, and knows that we're in support of him. But um, I was just really um, thinking hard about that whole experience and how you know it might be a lot of finger pointing going on right now. But let's just stop and reflect mm-hmm. on the lives that lives of uh, one life that's been lost, and then these other lives that are forever changed. Yeah. Um, as a result of what they witnessed, experienced, et cetera. So just wanted to bring that up as a hell no and a hell yeah for us today. Okay. I think that's great. And I don't know that I have anything to add really, because that's a pretty big one. <laughs> yeah, it's huge. It's huge. But we have more because Lisa, let's be clear. There's, <laughs> we, we have a growing list of hell yes and hell nas. Sadly, the hell nas uh, add up more quickly than the hell yes, but we do have a list. So y'all keep listening to the segment. We have plenty. Yep. Um, but yeah, there's lots that we observe every day. Hey, if y'all see hell nas or hell yes that you want to share with us, send them our way, right? Lisa, they can get in contact Absolutely. with us a lot of different Absolutely. ways. Yeah. Yeah. Social media, email, whatever you might need. We get voicemails. We get all kinds of stuff. Send a pigeon, whatever you need. We'll make sure it's on the podcast. Definitely okay. send a pigeon. I think that's the number one. You've got to definitely send a pigeon. Uh, that a would pigeon make and my a post-it. Day. Yeah. A pigeon yeah. and a post-it, Lisa. That's what we're going to do. Okay. Uh, hey everyone. This is Dr. Lisa Ringerfield, co-founder of the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. We are really excited to announce that the Outspoken Summit will be returning in 2021. This year has created an opportunity for triathletes to get back in the blocks and start to rebuild triathlon to create a more inclusive and welcoming space for all. Join us from the 12th to the 14th of November as we host a virtual summit to connect with like-minded women, center women's equity in the sport, hear from industry leaders, and develop leadership skills related to our roles in triathlon. The summit will provide a rich forum to develop strong voices, inspire others, and advocate for change in the sport we love. For more information and to sign up for the event, go to OutspokenSummit.com. We hope to see you there. The Unfazed Podcast and all things Feisty Triathlon are grateful to be supported by Inside Tracker. 
Inside Tracker cuts through the noise of diet and wellness trends by analyzing your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to provide you a personalized, science-backed, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is a simpler, cheaper, and more convenient option than traditional blood tests, and their test includes biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from the traditional option. What we love about them? They don't just give you data. They provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. Inside Tracker is offering 25% off their entire store to the Feisty Triathlon community. To claim your offer, go to insidetracker.com slash feistytriathlon. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at try to defy, at Dr. Gold Speaks, or at Outspoken Women in Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time.